Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone out there who wants to find us, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneur's or on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. So that being said, I have back with us Izaldin Bukhari of Sacred Cuisine out of Jerusalem, Palestine. How are you doing today? Alhamdulillah, man. I'm doing good. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing very good. So we were talking a little bit before this, and we'll jump into the food and the entrepreneur thing, but I didn't realize it actually yeah. snowed in Jerusalem. And you said it actually snows there um, like once a year, maybe, maybe twice a year, and the whole city shuts down. I think that's really cool because we think about it like it's hot there all the time. I think we have this weird perspective as Westerners or wherever we are that it's always hot there because it's in, you know, in the Middle East area. And so that's not the case. Obviously you guys get snow and, and you have winter and stuff like that. So that's kind of pretty cool. Yeah. It's, uh, as you said, people think of the Middle East, they think uh, desert, but, uh, even though it's a very small country over here in Palestine, but we have like, uh, a lot of dynamic and diversity in the environment. So we have desert, and at the same time we have a high mountain, where it is like in the Gulan. It's uh, during uh, during uh, the winter. It's a snow most of the time over there. But like in Jerusalem, uh, especially when it gets snow, it's like uh, very special because as I, as you said, and I said, happen like once, twice a year. And it's really beautiful where you have the old city covered with the snow. It's uh, very, very beautiful visuals. I love it. Uh -huh, that's really cool, actually. And so let's jump into sort of where we left off. Um, we were talking about the business and, and the food and sort of, I don't actually, I don't even know where to start because I have like literally like 13, 14 questions here. So one of the things I want to go back and talk talk about is you, when you go on the tours we talked a lot about the tours let's let's like walk through a tour like if i were to um come to jerusalem today and start a tour like what does the tour consist of like where do you go like i mean let's get very detail oriented why do you choose those places what are the significance so uh, the tour include uh, a farmer's market where we stop uh, by one uh, or two of the farmers, talk about some of what they have. Then we go to a bakery and we try uh, some manaish. It is like uh, it's similar to pizza, just like uh, with olive oil and za'atar, which is a spice blend made of spices and za'atar plant, which is similar to oregano. Then we get some sweets that's we will eat uh, when we drink coffee and tea. Uh, but before that, we stop. We have uh, at the hummus shop where we have different type of hummuses, starting from the classic hummus that's everybody know, up to different ones that's very local, uh, and uh, we eat them in the old city. And after this, we drink some tea, we eat some sweets in very beautiful cafe, kind of hidden in the old city uh, of Jerusalem, Basim Gallery. Uh, and sometimes I go to other uh, coffee shops uh, inside uh, the cotton market. Uh, yeah, and the tour include uh, tahini place, where we go to a place where they make the tahini uh, right from the sesame. And I elaborate on the process, different facts, uh, history of the place, uh, history of the tahine oil, uh, and such. Of course, we try different type of tahine. Everybody know about the white tahine, but we have uh, four kinds of tahine. 
And the other one, for example, that's uh, the participant to try usually in the food tour, it's uh, extra roasted tahine, which is more roast, the sesame is more roasted than the regular tahine, which give it more depth in color. And also uh, a taste, I would say, closer to peanut butter. That's a flavor they are familiar with. Uh, but yeah, it's like very similar and it also needs to include uh, a spice shop. Uh, it include a nuts uh, place, a shop like where they roast nuts and such. We get to drink a fruit juice. We eat something, what we call here a rasa bed, which is like uh, something between a pizza and a quiche. It's like the dough of the pizza, but it's have uh, some uh, uh, eggs uh, mix uh, and some vegetables. So yeah, this is like most of uh, the tour, I would say. Uh, there is like a few things here and there, depends on what's happening, what's the season, uh, and such. Uh, but but most important, I get to select the shops uh, because I live in the old city. Growing up in the old city, shop at many places here. So the whole experience and idea behind the food tour is to allow participants and people who's not from here or even from here to have my uh, walk of life when it's come to food. Where do I shop? Where do I uh, eat as a local, you know? Especially the old city of Jerusalem is a very touristy town. So there is many touristy things. There is very uh, a lot of bad food uh, that's not delicious, very expensive uh, and such. So you need to know your way. I, I love this. And one of the things is that I particularly like about it is like you're someone who lives there and you're trying to not give them the tourist experience. Like, I don't know how to compare it, but it would be like New York City and going to Times Square and eating all the fast food chains. You're really not yeah, experiencing New York City. Exactly. Uh, and this has happened, in my uh, opinion, in many tourist places because the industry of tourism, it's very uh, capitalist-oriented uh, about making money. So, for example, like in the old city of Jerusalem, that's how it works when it comes to tourism. You go to a tour guide, the tour guide takes you to his places which he claimed they are the best, they are the most trusted. But how it go down, the tour guide most of the time go to the places, uh, take the tourist to places where they give him higher commission. So the more higher commission he get, the more he will go to this place. And uh, what end up happening, man, that's what's like really frustrating to me, and especially a person from here, from the city, that these tour guide become in control of the tourism aspect, shopping, hospitality, uh, accommodation, uh, everything go around it. Uh, so they become basically almost like DoorDash. And um, if you were to compare it to DoorDash or Uber Eats or Grubhub, they become like the gatekeepers and the key masters to the food business. Like everyone orders through them over here and like they control mm -hmm the flow of your business. If you get too busy, they just start limiting the orders. And if you're not at the top of the list, you're not going to get an order, right? It's people only scroll so long. And so I, I understand what you're saying. So let's talk about this. Sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to highlight that because I think it's really important mm -hmm. that they, they are controlling what restaurants the tourists eat at, what the tourist experience actually is. So anyway, go on. I'm sorry to interrupt you. 
No, no, no. Uh, it's exactly like these uh, uh, these people become uh, kind of the indicators and uh, the big part of flow, as you said, like how to move uh, the flow. Uh, so they take you to our restaurants. That's the Bainham High Commission. Not necessarily the food is good. And what they do, the shop will charge double more or even triple when you when you come in with a tour guide why because you need to give him more than half sometimes of what he is making you know so uh this way the customer ending up eating okay food uh and paying way more than what he's supposed to pay for it just because he's with a tour guide while they assume as uh, participants uh, following this tour guide they're trusting this guy and he's taking him to the best of places. But uh, this is like uh, one of the small things that's happened. Also with shopping, uh, you can go and buy certain things, but uh, usually the tour guide get uh, a very good percentage. And in the same time, uh, you are paying uh, more for, for this. And this is kind of like, what does it create? It creates a lot of uh, bad business ethics where uh, a person come and he tried the food and he's like, oh, the food is okay. Like, what are they talking about? Hummus and falafel or whatever, you know. And he will have okay experience. Some Sometimes it's bad experience, but all will, all this experiences, he will count it as this is what the city is. This is what the city has to offer. So, uh, and that's why actually, to be honest with you, uh, the food tour is very successful on a worldwide level. It's because... I have customers who've been here, most of my customers who are expats, international, who live here, work in a different missions and uh, such. Uh, so they live here for some time, sometimes one year, a few months, two years or whatever. And always when they come on my tour, they are like, I had no idea about this thing or this dish. or And they're like, we've been living here. Like how? And I'm like, yeah, this is... Uh, uh, the only reason uh, I'm telling you about uh, you know about it right now it's because I'm highlighting these things because I know you can go to a hummus place and you can try hummus but there's other three four type of dishes that you didn't even know they existed and you would love to try them since you are going to a hummus place but uh, but that's another beauty and aspect actually of an Asian city that's the marketing we don't have really a sense of marketing people are not trying to make the most money. All most of the people, what they're really trying to do is provide a service, make a living, and not necessarily making a lot of money. They will just want to make enough, you know. So, uh, which is, uh, I know as an entrepreneur and as a business, this is something does not uh, make sense. Uh, but here in uh, in town in the old city of Jerusalem, uh, these people kind of they focus on the product and not the greed. So they don't find a way to cut it off uh, or thin it out or such. I'm sure there's people who still do, you know, but like uh, for the people who is really doing it from the heart and you are like, you can do this and you can sell more and such. And he's like, uh, I know I'm happy here to receive my customers. Uh, I don't want to do online shopping, for example, you know. So, uh, so this way, uh, if you know a local and you get to experience you get to experience the city in more depth well and i like this what you said also i mean part of it is what's happening is as you start what i feel like's happening there is there's entrepreneurism as on a very micro level like with the shopkeepers i mean there's the tourist side which is more of the the 
I would call it exploitation. I mean, we could use the word capitalism. I agree, and it could be applied there. But it's just there's exploitation when you take advantage of something or you're making a lot of money and you're not truly representing the tourist place yes, that you're in. Accurate. I mean, there's there's a lot of that as well, it, and it's a lot of exploitation. And there's it's different industries and happens in every country, and tourism is definitely exactly. one of the worst. Um, yep. And so what I like also about what you said is the entrepreneurs that are sort of doing it for the right reasons. They're providing solutions. It's not necessarily to make quick money right now. But what's going to end up happening is if this happens is there'll be another generation that starts coming up behind them that is, for lack of a better term, more worldly and has more exposure to the world and also has their basis and their core values there in Jerusalem, but also grew up in a family business and learn entrepreneurial values. And that, that, that combination going into the second generation, I feel like, is where these businesses will find their way to be truly representative of the culture and the communities in Jerusalem and also be able to expand and give more impact on the world just like you're doing. I mean, you've gotten the entrepreneur spirit and taken it back with you, and then you're like, I need to help here because I see that. this one. I mean, you're providing more than just a service or a solution. You're actually trying to help people become aware humans that aren't, in that area or don't travel there, hey, there's more than to this place than just what's on the news. There's more to this place than just the tourist trap. There's culture and thousands of years of tradition and it starts with food and drink and shopping. I mean, I can't even imagine there's probably shops and buildings there that are thousands of years old. I I mean, I don't know, but in the old city, I have to imagine that that totally mind boggles me. Still, even when I go to Europe, or Asia, and these buildings are like thousands of years old, or even South America, like three or four thousand years old for the temples and stuff in, yeah. in Egypt and in the Incas. So, like, all of those things are just so significant. There's so much tradition. I think as humans, we're so caught up in now. And don't get me wrong, I don't think we should live in our rear view mirror. But the tradition mm-hmm. that's there, the values that are there, that's what belongs in the rearview mirror. Not all of our mistakes, not whatever. We just need to learn from them and move forward. But in the rearview mirror, there's tradition and there's values and there's things that make us better humans and food. And so I like what you're doing. And I think that that's truly the solution here is it's, yes, do we all want to make a living and get by and provide for our families. But if there's a greater cause and we're happy and we find joy in what we're doing, it's very hard. I agree to want to do something else. You know, it's like, there's this thing it's in every, um, oh, what's the, that's one of the sub places here. I'll think of it, Jimmy John's and it's about a fisherman and a guy goes to the fisherman. And he's like, Oh my gosh, you have one fishing boat. Let me give you money and we can buy, you can have three fishing boats. He's like, then, it, then what? And he's like, well, then you have a fleet of boats and we can continue to grow and you'll have more boats. And he's like, then what? He's like, then you'll run this giant corporation. You'll sell fish all over the planet. He's like, then what? He's like, then you'll build this big business and do whatever. And he's like, then what? And he's like, then you'll retire and you'll have all this money. He's like, and then what? He's like, I'll be on the beach fishing in my one boat all over again because that's what I love to do. So he's like, we could go that path and we could make it or I could just be happy and stay where I am and know that this is the longevity of my life and my wealth is also the joy and time I have with my family. 
So I agree entrepreneurship is is the pursuit of growth and whatever. I just I think the trophy is the money. I don't think it's the pursuit of it that actually does us any good. I think some people provide solutions and stuff and, and chase the money and they make money. That's just the way it is. But I think there's yeah. people that actually provide legacy that make money as trophies that happen to be doing good things and the money just comes. Um, but I also think there's a lot of people who are entrepreneurs that we find joy or people find joy in just making sure they have balance in their life. There's enough money. The business runs exactly. good. We're having good um, food and we're, we're representing our culture and our core values well and our moral and ethics. And we're getting to spend time with our family. And that's joy for, for most of the world and most people. So it's not that it's not providing solutions. It's just that there's layering. And I can't describe it any other way than what happens in New York City with immigration that happens there there's layering the f the first group that comes in ends up in restaurants and building solutions and providing meals and tourism for the first um group and they get involved in hospitality and and tourism and um food service uh or landscaping or whatever it is but let's just talk about food service and then they compound it or they eventually buy their own business and then that own business the next generation is getting in there and learning entrepreneurial values which then then they scale businesses, then they build big time businesses and they do it in a different way. But that's because they had the foundation of the first generation to understand that it starts with just one fishing boat and that you're going to end up there. So find your happiness before you go do whatever and make sure your solution is something that you can find purpose in over a lifetime. Exactly. So. You said it, man. It's about a certain balance and each one have a certain way of what the balance is. But when the, this balance circle, it includes uh, a lot of things. What about it life, such as, uh, you know, health, uh, uh, good vibes and family and such. Uh, I think this is the ultimate. I agree with you. And I think if <clears throat> and even the tourist thing, I mean, Money has become such the object of consumption and desire, and I get it. It's we're poor and we're rich, and if you don't have money, it's it's horrible, and I get that. And so I can't imagine always, but like it's got to be horrible um, in the situations that are around the world where there's no government to help out, where there's no situation or parents don't ha have the ability to leverage legacy, and so. But one of the things that I, I am going to say is the entrepreneurial attitude that that's sort of sort of branching around the world, that sort of we are in control of our situations and we don't have to allow other entrepreneurs that even if whatever they call themselves, I would not call them an entrepreneur if they're not actually spreading positivity and future pollination of the world. But that's just my definition. But the the thing that's going on is there's entrepreneurs now that are fighting it and doing the right thing. Like Ezel Dean, like yeah. you're, you're doing the right thing. And even though you're not like out there trying to fight a war or anything by just doing the right thing and, and staying true to your beliefs and your core value and the culture of old city, he is fighting a battle, a very big one, but it's not with the intent to fight. I just want everyone to understand like, as entrepreneurs, we unintentionally also fight bigger things like freedom, like tourism that's bad, or 
other entrepreneurs, quote unquote, that call themselves entrepreneur that do bad things in our industries and ruin the name of our industries, like, you know, or cause bad things to happen. Like, think about it on a world scale. There's how many tourists that come to Jerusalem, guys, from mathematically, and a majority of them get caught in these traps. I will call them traps. They're mm-hmm. tourist traps. <laughs> exactly. And so what happens is then that's the reputation that goes back out to the world. Okay, so that's not something you want for your culture. That's not something you want for the world. What we want for the world is everyone to have an understanding, education, experience, and exposure to the world. Okay, those three things are important. Okay, education, you can read it through books and videos and whatever. Experience is going to experience the culture and whatever. And exposing ourselves is to everything that the lifestyle, the food, the the things that are outside the tourist traps, the things that may make us uncomfortable, okay? Experience is just experiencing somewhere, but exposure is actually making yourself uncomfortable, in my opinion, as as especially as Americans, because we don't mm-hmm. even understand. So it's we need to make ourselves uncomfortable, and that's what I like about what you're doing, and I like about the entrepreneurial spirit, but the problem is, is there is these tourist traps, and I agree with you. They end up costing so much more money. And I've been around the world and I see it all the time. And I actually never thought about talking about it on a podcast because I just, (laughs) but it is true. I mean, I've experienced it in Thailand and in Mexico and you name it, anywhere you get on the ground. And next thing you know, you got flags and tourists and sheets in your face and vans and do this and go see that. And here's the food you provide and the food's mass produced and it's, it's for the tourist. And they're they're doing it so they can turn as many tourist groups as possible. Also, like that's the exactly. other thing. So, I like that we're talking about this. Let's um, let's put this one on hold. Yeah. Let's talk about like we talked about the marshmallow plan and stuff like that. Let's talk about some of the other plants. Um, you talked about the farmers. What are plants that grow? Um, there that you didn't experience here in the United States. I mean, marshmallow being a plant is certainly significant, but what other things are there that the farmers grow that you guys grow there in the Middle East? You mentioned the one I believe that was like oregano, but um, but maybe. I, but um, yeah. So what else? I mean, I think that that's part of this experience is what, like, because what I also want is food entrepreneurs and anyone in the food space to go experience this as well. Even as entrepreneurs, you want to go see what the world's doing and what they're doing with their food. It's important. Like even as Americans, we bring a lot of that stuff back with us and we have trends and booms. Um, Same with Europe, same with everywhere in the country. I think hot chickens probably all over the world now are are getting Mm. there. But um, let's talk about that. Uh, You know, one of the things I realized uh, living in the States, uh, there was not much green as here. Uh, But to be honest, I think the environment over here, uh, the land, uh, it's give a lot of perfect condition for a lot of greens in particular. So uh, let's see, I talked about uh, the za'atar, the loof, the... Hobeze, which is the marshmallow. Uh, you know, another plant, uh, for example, another green is very famous. Also, it's from the same family of the marshmallow plant because marsh is a type of the mallow. Uh, mallow, it's the family, and there is different type of mallow. So marshmallow, and there's another one called jet mallow, uh, which is uh, what we call it in Arabic, mluchiyah. 
eine Melochie ist one of these greens that are very, very particular to this area and not a lot of people know about it and not a lot of people even know the name of it in English because for most of us over here we know it as a Melochie uh, but I had to look it up uh, and it is one of the most delicious still uh, very popular uh, we make it in two, in two versions one is like roughly chopped it's like a We can cook it like a bit of a, with a spinach, with a bit of water, keep the leaf uh, most uh, mostly whole. And there's another version where we make it into a soup. And uh, and the soupy version, especially in Egypt, it's very famous uh, because, you know, the food over here, uh, it across uh, around the Middle East uh, area uh, and around Uh, we share like different dishes, uh, and in, in Egypt, this dish actually they call it mulukiye, uh, the name in Arabic mulukiye, but mulukiye means royal. That's how much it was, uh, uh, it's respected and, uh, and beloved. But here uh, in Palestine, we also eat it, and it is one of these uh, delicious greens. It's got a bit of a slimy. Uh, texture into it so when some people kind of kind of turn them off uh, but uh, over here this dish is like very popular it's like one of these dishes where you experience at home from the home cooking it's very home cooking and it's also part of the marshmallow uh, family it's interesting because I like does it have the same properties where it helps like an upset stomach or is it just It's a totally different, has different properties. It's have, uh, you know, it's full of iron. Uh, I don't remember exactly what exactly the properties, but it's supposed to be very, very healthy. Uh, it is full of uh, different, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, vitamins and such. I believe it's high on uh, iron. Uh, but yeah, it is one of the healthy Uh, the greens and actually another name for it it called Jou Mallow and they call it Jou Mallow because in Egypt ancient Egypt the pharaohs they didn't know that it was uh, that healthy of a plant and they were associated with it, with a food that is kind of like uh, cheap and at that time you know uh, Jews were slave in slavery uh, in ancient Egypt so they would give them this to eat it so that's why it gained the Jew uh, mellow name from uh, from that uh, and what's funny in, in Egypt itself it used to be considered in ancient Egypt like a low food and then it became uh, respected uh, very much that's uh, one of the Muslims uh, Khalifa's uh, rulers at the time, he called it Molukiye, which is mean like royal because he loved it so much. So it's funny to see through history how the jet mellow uh, was like uh, not desired. Then it became a royal food. Uh, well, and, and how crazy is the part of that it has iron in it, which we desperately need as humans and probably as slaves you weren't getting much iron or meat and from iron, so you just happened to be eating this plant. And it was helping probably survival. And then you're right, it comes full circle. And in the United States, lobster is very similar. Our, the East Coast of exactly. the United States used to be abundant with lobsters. And we used to feed it to the prisoners and the slaves and whoever would eat it. 
And um, yeah, man. And now we can't even find a lobster because they're like three hundred dollars a pound or whatever ridiculous amount they are. You know, I just watched a video very recent about that, and I was shocked, you know, to learn about the history of lobsters. <laughs> and there's a lot of food like that. I mean, think about hot dogs. I mean, in the United States, we eat hot dogs like they're going out of style. Hot dogs used to come in a can and were Vienna sausages. They've just expanded into the hot dogs and sausages from Europe that came over, but now they were looked at as lowly food and not many people ate them. And now they're on a bun in everyone's hand across America, if not the world. And so, and and they were animal byproducts. And so like everyone had a different opinion of them, but let's talk about the animals that you guys consume in, in that part of the world. And, And like, what's the diversity there? Is it the same as the United States? I mean, I'm just trying to lay the land here because I think there's so much difference in the cuisine in the Western, what I will call our Western part of the world, which is the United States, Canada, Mexico ish area. And, and your part of the world, which is more Mediterranean, Middle Eastern influence. Although like we have a lot of similarities, Italians, you know, Palestine, you know, all of that area, Greece, um, Morocco, there's a lot of shared things like anise being one of them. And and sure. other spices that we just traded, so we have a lot of similarities in our cuisine, yet differences. Um, what are some of those differences as well, if you don't mind, uh, the animals in particular, if there are any? Uh, you know, we have over here uh, beef uh, and chicken is the most. Uh, also, lamb meat it's uh, very popular and very uh, required in certain occasion. You cannot even cook anything beside lamb meat on uh, occasions such as wedding uh, or such. Uh, but yeah, mainly chicken, uh, beef, uh, lamb. Uh, some people uh, even uh, we have a bit of. Uh, Rabbits, uh, it's not very popular, just a tiny bit. Uh, also, uh, there is a bit of camel meat, it's just very little. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, a lot of people assume if, uh, outside from this word that camel meat is, is a much, but no, actually, uh, like we have it, but it's very, very little. But yeah, this is, uh, I would say, chicken and beef. Uh, pork, we have a... a I don't even know if there is a farm for pork, uh, but if there is, it's like family uh, thing, uh, not the business. But uh, there is, of course, also, this is also something that a lot of people don't know, that Palestine is full of a Christian. I mean, Jesus was from here, and it's like Christianity is a big part of Palestine. And a lot of people don't think there is a lot of Christian here, uh, but no, we do. Uh, so it's like uh, also the pork, it is something that is shared. So I would say beef, pork, uh, we have a bit of turkey. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to get back to the camel thing because I'm just curious. I, I'm just, it must, it's kind of like perception. I think it's like horses here in the United States, but we can get in there. I do um, want to touch on what you said, though, because I found the same. I haven't been to Jerusalem, so this is not speaking from experience, but I have been to Istanbul, and Istanbul has a lot of similarities, I would say, historically. Yeah. Obviously, there's not Jesus born there and the the all the <laughs> history and then the Judaism and, and Islam, and, and all of it seems to be the pivotal point right there. But Istanbul right. also had pivoting points. It has quite a bit of uh, 
Jewish people, Jewish humans. It has Christian humans and it has Muslim humans, like all in the same old city. And they, yeah. everyone seems to get along, especially in the modern day. But it's there is like you go from neighborhood to neighborhood and there's different culture. And the other thing I was shocked about is the same thing is there is the diversity of food that sort of is true to each culture and and sort of religious differences. And what you realize is there's a lot more similarities than differences in certain situations. I mean, I think we choose to pick out our differences. But one of the cool parts I like about this is that you mentioned that it's just there's a lot of things going on, but everyone's tr- just figuring it out. And um, I don't know if that's true or not, but I think one of the things with food is, at least I experienced in Istanbul, is once I got down to the food level and the culture level, it didn't matter what I was or what everyone else was, we were all breaking bread. And when I was around the right energy, everyone was about how do we benefit the future and the family. So. I think it's probably the same. It's just a matter of some humans are some humans and some humans aren't, and there's commonality and there's not. And I don't know what the situation there is, but I like that you're spreading the culture and you have such an open mind to the food. And I think that that's cool and that you're willing to talk about it. Um, so let's talk about more the traditional stuff that you eat every day. So what is what is the food that you eat that's traditional for, for you every day? Like what would be a normal meal for you? Not the touristy thing, not the, the thing that goes on. Like what, like, or what are your favorite restaurants? What do you get at that restaurant? Like, let's break it down even further. You know, uh, hummus is like one of the things that's even when I'm not on the tour, uh, I still eat it. Like, for example, today I have a friend. She is leaving uh, this country. She lived over here for a bit of time. And we had, uh, like, a breakfast gathering. And it was uh, hummus just because she loved it. I love it. And uh, so uh, hummus, uh, I would say I eat it a lot, a lot. <laughs> because I'm really, I really love hummus. So uh, hummus, like, jump a lot. But I would say, you know, uh, me personally... Uh, I don't buy food from uh, out uh, a lot. I make, uh, you know, like my uh, my food uh, or my mom, uh, she cooks something. My sister, she lives very close to us. And, you know, sometimes she sends us food. Tomorrow she's like, you know, inviting us uh, for, uh, for a meal. Uh, but uh, what always on rotation, I would say uh, that, first of all, I don't eat only Palestinian food. Uh, I eat many different kind of things. Uh, like I have a big passion and love for Mexican food and for Asian food. So uh, a lot of times also I will cook dishes that are not the traditional. But uh, I love, to, especially in winter, to have uh, a rotation of soups. Uh, and there is always like a soup. Uh, on my stove and uh, at uh, winter uh, I mean uh, at uh, summer uh, a lot of uh, salads and uh, it's really seasonal whatever is uh, in the season uh, that's usually what will end up in my pot very cool so if your family gets together and it's winter time like your sister going over your sister's house will there be soup there as one of the options is that just I mean, it used to be that way in the United States. It's just not that way anymore. 
is that stuff you would um, eat if you're going to family like what do you expect to have there like what are your traditional dishes that you break bread with your family so for example uh, you know you might have a soup but it will be just on a side like uh, if there is a soup it's not like uh, so there, and usually this is one of the things that's uh, here in, in our culture uh, situation uh, politically are can get very intense uh, I mean most of the time it's intense it's just like uh, sometimes even get bad or worse uh, so most of our enjoyment uh, it's in food and uh, family uh, invites and the people invite and each other uh, especially in a culture over here where for example we don't uh, I mean uh, I drink alcohol but I'm just saying like a lot of the people don't drink alcohol uh, don't go to uh, clubs and such so uh, this is kind of like a change of the way how people have fun and uh, in our culture uh, a conservative culture more I would say it's uh, uh, meal and food has become one of the things so people cook a lot cook way more than enough have many different variety different kind of things whatever you can think of you know you can find in the table so uh, uh, my sister, for example, you know, uh, she make mansaf, and mansaf is a uh, it's very traditional dish uh, in the region here, and uh, it's made usually with the lamb meat uh, and a dried yogurt sauce. That's uh, a type of yogurt that's the Bedouin uh, contributed to the cuisine, and we call it kishik. And they take uh, the milk, they turn it into a yogurt, they exceed all the liquid as much as possible so there is no more liquid in it and then they combine it with ghee uh, and a lot of salt and then they dry it. So then you have this stone of which is like a cheese that's go for two years, even more, without going bad and without putting it in the fridge. Holy it's mackerel, that is incredible. It's genius, man. Like I always talk about it on my food tours. Like this contribution, whoever made this uh, invention, it just like in the desert, you know. Yeah, before food science, before fridge, before yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. I love it. Oh my god, I laugh so hard. Okay. Yeah. And uh, this is my sister, uh, the one she lives close to us here. Uh, she is very known for her months of so. Uh, uh, mom will ask her if she want to invite us. Uh, she'll be like, you can't make runs of. But her husband, uh, he is another guy that I know in my life that he is not a chef. He don't cook for money, but he's one of these people that have a spirit and energy in cooking. It's crazy. And he loves to grill stuff. He grill a lot of meat, different type of cuts, different type of vegetables. He's just like uh, a grill master. So tomorrow it's going to be a grill day where they're going to grill a bunch of uh, uh, different uh, meats, chickens, cuts, uh, vegetables, and such. Very cool. I like this. Um, I'm going to try to ask this question. And I'm not trying to, I don't want to ask it from a political standpoint. So what I'm trying to understand as an entrepreneur standpoint is that in the environment there, because of the politics, is it harder for the entrepreneurs there? Does the supply sometimes, is it hard to get ingredients? Is it hard to run your business? Is it like days, do you, the business shut down? Like, I don't understand. So, I mean, 
I don't know what that's like. I mean, what is that like as an entrepreneur in the city? What is the dynamic that's different? Because I think most of the world we think of entrepreneurs is in in countries that don't have the same kind of political issues, for lack of a better term. Does it affect the businesses? I guess the entrepreneurs, regardless uh, of what side they're on, would be my real question. Uh, you, you know what? Uh, that's uh, a big question because the answer heavily yes, it it affects heavily the entrepreneur. Uh, but depends who you are. <laughs> that's what something about this country. It depends who you are. Who you are can dedicate if you have easy or more than difficult. And uh, to be honest with you, as an entrepreneur, Palestinian entrepreneur in Jerusalem, in the old city, uh, I cannot even like, uh, man, this is need like five episodes by, by itself. There's so much, so many challenges, man. So many challenges in a way you won't even expect, you won't even like think about. There is so much to go around, to go around. And uh, to be honest with you, I don't want to discuss them, uh, not because uh, of politics or anything. It's just like because. Even me discussing these things, it will uh, give more insight uh, about certain things that we kind of have to do to get by. And I don't want to shed these things out and aloud. <laughs> but it's basically, you have to maneuver a lot uh, between different kind of aspects. And sometimes with whatever you are doing, you can break the law. For example... When I went to live in the United States of America, my friends, you know, uh, uh, and I have a half a brother who is, uh, uh, he's like, uh, we share the same dad, but he's from uh, America. He's like American, you know. Uh, our relationship is more than half a brother. We are like uh, brothers that's connected very deeply, even though we didn't uh, spend a lot of time with each other. But when I was living in the States, uh, more than half of the time I spent with him. Uh, and uh, basically, uh, uh, when they tell me, like, we're going to take you to farmer's market, and I'm like, what's that farmer's market? I never heard of this. And we go, and it's a place where farmers gather to sell their produce. And, you know, I remember in that experience, it's so vivid that I still remember it till today, that I went to that place, and I was like, I was like really shocked because comparing into my mind is what farmers deal with over here in this country uh, where they're trying to do the same thing. Uh, while in the United States of America, it's considered like cool and uh, hip and the beautiful thing. While over here, these farmers, man, just like listen to their story. They have to wake up very early in the morning. They have to be over 40 years old as a woman to be able to come to the Jerusalem and to cross the checkpoint with uh, uh, otherwise she don't have a permit and she need the permit so she need to wake up early she need to drag all of her vegetables green and they carry it on their head in a, in a crazy balanced way you know and then they have to cross the checkpoint they had to wait for hours on the checkpoint then they come here to jerusalem and by the law they are not allowed to sell their things in uh, in the city so they are like sitting around uh, to try and sell these things and if the municipality come they will confiscate their things they will take it from them they sometimes they make them pay a fee 
uh, pay a fine uh, and and such. And these are just farmers, man. That's they pick the food and such, and they go to Damascus Gate. They try to sell it. Uh, you know, so the things can like go on and more and more, but like every person is uh, uh, trickled down from farmers to a shopper to uh, a, a vendor. That's there is so much you have to. You're not allowed to do. You uh, will pay a fine and. Uh, uh, and just because the system over here, as Israeli system, it's a system that is racist. It's based on who you are. So if you Palestinian, you you get the worst. But if you are not, then you have a better treatment. So on the other hand, when you come to entrepreneur and startup, Israel is one of the world leader uh, countries when it's come to entrepreneur and to. Uh, uh, to startups, uh, but uh, if if you're Israeli, you have even access. You can help. You can have money uh, ad, uh, advancement. But if you are Palestinian, even if there is something that you can do, and by the law, sometimes it can happen that you're not, and just because someone who really don't want you to, and can get that personal between uh, the authority. That's uh, you know. Uh, we don't want to help you, or we're going to try even like to uh, block you and such. Yeah, and uh, that's exactly what I, I mean. You hit it on the head without getting in the details, and and I and I want to just say this, and and I say that I can say this. One of the things that I I find interesting in the world that we claim to be spreading freedom in and free markets in is that we're not we don't spread we don't spread it. And we don't actually spread a free market. Like this is the part where in politics around the world that if we really care about freedom and liberty and equality and non-racism and all these things we, we advertise galore, it starts with the entrepreneurs. Okay, there, there are more of them than anywhere and there has to be equal access to everything in that free market so there's equal competition. Okay, and... I'm just going to say this and someone's probably going to come find me or whatever, but the best thing that, that we can do is figure out how to capitalize on everyone that lives there. I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. it's not exploitation, but when everyone gets along and everyone's trading, everyone's prospering, maybe they're trading within their, their areas or their groups or whatever, but there's taxes being paid. There's businesses being created, there's jobs being created, there's children being created that are passed on that are future laborers and future patriots, depending on how you handle it. And But we just don't do it. And we don't realize that entrepreneurs, like if we want freedom in this world and we want human rights in this world and we want equality in this world, it has to start there. Okay, it has to start where we give equal access to opportunity. Okay, and that's what I'm going to start off with. And I'm not going to get into it. But I really truly believe that as entrepreneurs, that one of the things that we are tasked with, particularly in countries like the United States is to spread entrepreneurism. And that's equality to opportunity also where we all at least get a chance and we're all playing by the same rules, maybe not from country to country, but within our own countries. 
And I think that that is important, even in the United States. Okay, historically, it's yep. been there's been things like that here also that's given certain quote unquote entrepreneurs advantages over others, or political relationships, or government funding, or you name it. Um, the lobbying on Capitol Hill, you know, foreign lobbyists that we allow into our governments now, and so. These are all things I'm talking about. So it goes all the way down to micro, all the way to macro. But the thing about it is, is it's a mindset. And the mindset is this. If you want freedom and you believe that the world needs it and it's important for us as humans to make choices or have the right to a choice, then that's part of being an entrepreneur and spreading entrepreneurism, which is the ability for anyone to compete and the anyone to go try to make a business and try to succeed in this world without things being created that are unfair. I don't know how else to put it. It's, it's hard to show up to a soccer game if the other team isn't playing by the same rules as you are. Like, And number one, <laughs> right. and how does the referee actually keep track of the rules if two teams are playing against them? Like the referee, yeah. if two teams are on a field, let's just talk two teams. Let's not even talk the international policy of 190 some countries or whatever there are now. It's, mm -hmm. we're just talk two. Two are playing two different games and now they're two within the same country. And how's the referee really going to keep track of the rules? Because they're playing by two different rules. And we saw this in the United States. You can't keep track of the rules if you're playing with two different games. And the referees become corrupt because there's no other choice because they can't possibly keep track of they're on one field but two different games going on by two different rules. And so it just leads downward spiral period. And especially for entrepreneurism, just going to say, since that's an entrepreneur podcast, we can see the entrepreneurial spirit in the South United States versus the Northern United States. And even that it's just starting to rebuild here in the United States, hundred some years later after even that or less than breaking down um, segregation. So I'll tie it to the United States history since we all know that, but the entrepreneurial spirit in certain communities is still struggling to exist. It's still trying to break away from government dependency. It's still trying to break away from all that stuff. Okay, so one of the things by doing this and, and keeping certain groups down is you make them dependent. Okay, and by hurting mm -hmm. the entrepreneurs constantly and making them have to come back just to get their fix, just to get by, it's creating that addiction and that dependency on the government. That's why they do it, guys. It's a total control thing. Okay, so freedom is about letting the right thing come to the top, letting the right thing happen. Like if everyone's positive and being an entrepreneur and they're actually providing solutions, the cream does rise to the top, period. The right humans who are doing the right thing for the legacy of the planet and the communities that we live in rise to the top when we allow it. But if we try to control it, which are people that are corrupt and they use power because they don't have the confidence to actually do the right thing by leading through good moral and ethical values, Instead, they lead by fear and fear tactics. Then we end up where we are, especially around the world right now, with a massively growing population. But weirdly, we're not actually fixing any of the problems or spreading freedom. I would say by the population that's growing and by the numbers, the freedom is actually going less in the favor of freedom and entrepreneurs by just sheer birth. And so... Um, that's all that I, I want to talk about on an international level. And I've crossed some 
boundaries probably here and there. But the reality is, is as entrepreneurs, we all agree on one thing. That is that we should have the opportunity to play by the rules of the same game as our competitors in the countries that we pay, that we play in. And in order to do that, that's freedom. That's where the best wins. That's where our countries are actually hyper-competitive. In the United States, we're running into this right now. We are a hyper-competitive country, but on the world market, we're not hyper-competitive because we allow weird embargoes and infractions to come into our country, but we then don't play by the rules somewhere else. Like So the American companies don't play by the same rules but yet there's a free market here so everyone can play, yet we can't play freely in their markets, okay? So like Brazil, for example, you 50 over 50% of the company has to be owned by Brazilian if you're American going there. These are where rules just aren't the same. I don't know if it's still that way, but it was for a long time. So sorry, we're on a totally different topic. I hope that was okay um, that I went into mm-hmm. Ezeldeen. Yeah, yeah, and you know what I would like to add uh, on that, that I believe, in my opinion, I I don't think governments are over here for our benefits. I don't think government care about us, about even them. They don't care about the universe. They don't care about Mother Earth or any of that. And, you know, the best way I can illustrate this and put it out to the people to see is... A lot of government will ask you to fight in the name of your country. They will ask you to step and be proud and fight for your country. But these people won't ask you to minimize on garbage, won't ask you to not destroy this country you're talking about, the earth you are standing on. And uh, most of these systems, they don't even find a way to protect this country they are talking about to to protect this land and in my belief government are also uh against one of the obstacles for entrepreneurs uh and i think the best my favorite entrepreneur in the world you know uh in uh is tesla for example niklo tesla and uh, for this person for example when I got to know him, I went deep in his history of life because I was fascinated by this human and by this mind. And he's the best example of how he had idea solution. He had wireless electricity, man, at his time. Today, we are like talking about wireless electricity. We have our phone that's the charge wirelessly and we think it's cool. While this man, he give us wireless electricity since long time, but they didn't allow it because it does not bring money and power to them. Uh, and he's like, and they 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 put this guy in so much of a deep hole that uh, they end up killing him, burning his stuff and such. And the person who really uh, uh, benefited from all his invention and such is the people who are able, who basically control our electricity uh, at that time. And they were like, no, you're not going to give free energy to the people. Uh, We're going to stop you. And the same story happened also with the electric cars, you know. Man, I want to talk about this. I don't know if it is. Yeah, keep going. uh, Let's talk about it. We got plenty of time. I got plenty of time. Let's go. If you got time, let's talk about it. I love this. And I'm right with you on this. And I love talking about history and the good entrepreneurs that have lived, like where we get to look at their whole life from birth to death. So go on. Mm 
Exactly. There is like uh, there is this uh, product that a lot of people I had in many occasions that's telling the story and people think I'm joking. And I was like, guys, I'm serious. You can look it up. But it is like unbelievable that uh, a company Ford for creating cars in the 1930s or 1940s, I'm not sure, or let's say between 1930 and 1940, they created a car that's completely completely made out of cannabis and they also fuel it using the cannabis and they were showing the advantage of this car because it was made of something similar to fiberglass that's from cannabis and if it have a dent if something hit this uh, the car body it will have a, a tint in it but it will re get back in position as if nothing happened, almost like a magic. And my question is why we don't know a lot about it. Why this car is not functioning. A lot of people tell you because of the drugs, that's what the story they sold you to be able to put the plastic in everywhere that's right now we consume. You know how much plastic we consume as a normal human being? The size of a credit card every... I don't remember the period, a year or something like this. That's us trying to avoid to eat plastic, you know. But there is so much plastic. And this industry, it came to kind of like wipe the cannabis. Uh, and before that, the cannabis industry in itself, they were making a lot of clothes, a lot of many things like uh, But yeah, uh, and that's why my belief is government is anti-entrepreneur, anti uh, solution that can help and benefit. They are uh, supporting anything that make people pay money. And what they love is to make you pay money on every month basis. So they they have you just on the loop. And, you know, everything you look around, they want you to subscribe and they want you to pay for something. Like you, you, they cannot give us a phone for free. In, in our technology today, you know, and such, but like there is certain things, electricity, you know, uh, fearable uh, energy, uh, we still struggle to get, and they try to tell us that the technology is not there, while well, we know that it's, uh, it's a lie. But, uh, and that's what I love about entrepreneur, man, because we find solution between all of this, between a government and a worldwide uh, authority they're trying to blend the word entrepreneurs they are designed in their spirit to still find a way and still shine without taking any help of these people and without walking their agenda yeah and i want to talk about this um i think the tesla story is really important because the one is we could have had electric cars a long time ago that's one number two is i agree with you electricity should have been free almost 100 years ago at least, okay? So there's a lot of things like that that we've done. I'm gonna talk about the the hemp and the marijuana and the cannabis because I think it is very important. One of the things that Ford did when he did his business is he went around the world and built this empire of supply chain. So he controlled the supply chain for his Model T's this before the cannabis thing. And one of the things he had to get like rubber from Brazil and he had to get like all these parts, like he started realizing the dependency on foreign trade and that if Ford was going to build stuff, what could we grow in the United States that could build a majority and supply the cars? Well, in cannabis, it has tar 
It, it has byproducts that can produce rubber. It has all sorts of products, I'm pretty sure, that help complement the car. Maybe you still need rubber for tires, but there's aspects of it that the whole thing can be used. There's also medical aspects of it. And so... Mm. One of the things that happens is if you're building a car out of fiberglass, it's no longer built out of steel, okay? And during that time, the United States was run by the steel tycoon. So I just want everyone to be aware of that, though. Even Ford succeeded. He was still building cars out of steel, the Ford company, until like the 1970s, maybe even 80s, okay? Like so, and even mm-hmm. now, aluminum is like a ch- mostly Chinese product when we could literally grow fiberglass here like a natural form and not have to produce it in the same way. And so I agree with you on that. And it, the byproducts are closed. There's medicine. There's an industry that has a, that wants it recreationally and medically. So like there's that benefit. But what he was trying to do as an entrepreneur is be less dependent where he could build the cars with the least amount of stuff and fuel them, right? Because I think they were fueled off of um, oil also, if I'm not remember burning cannabis also, but I can't remember 100%. Um, yeah. Like a biodiesel of some sort. And, um, and so, or, um, and so that's just one of those things where I agree with you. The government plays a role. Um, the government gets involved for corporations or favors for people or whatever that looks like. Um, and I agree with you that, a majority of the time, it's not for the benefit of the people. Um, if we were worried about the environment, we disposable mass was not the solution, right? Like, I'm just like, we went from worried about feeding straws to turtles because they were going to die and all over the world and no plastic to putting mass uh-huh. plastic sanitizer, plastic bottles everywhere, because now plastic was was easier and it wouldn't be contaminated. And then we went to a delivery business industry that went to like styrofoam galore. You know, there was just no, it was just like reckless, like beyond galore. And here's the other thing about COVID, at least in the United States, we are like 30 years backwards now on our, in our environmental journey between the rotation of our animals and our crops to, the products we produce to the chemicals we're using to how much more of our foods processed. Um, it's just crazy. So I agree with you. Um, I've seen it in my own case. I've seen it in the United States giving preferential treatment, particularly in food service to foreign companies for whatever reason, even though that, you know, it doesn't make any sense to have our schools, our children, our universities, our cafeterias, and our hospitals all controlled by French company or an English company, but mostly French. It just is one of those things where are we serious right now? A majority of our food system is all controlled by foreign companies, but that's just me. So this is where, no, we don't care about the entrepreneur. We don't even care about the entrepreneurs in our own countries. You know, So we literally pass laws and do things that hurt other people. And in the case that we're talking about, Internationally, when we actually give preferential treatment to one group or the other, it actually hurts the entrepreneurial spirit of the entire country because it's harder to do business there for foreign companies and do trade because there's so many weird barriers and blue tape like, oh, wait, I can do business if this person belongs to this group, but I can't do business if they belong to that group. Like, come on. 
And so, like, think about it, guys. Like, shouldn't the same access be available and price and competition be the same? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and, um, absolutely. So, I like this. I also like this stuff about Tesla. Like, I agree with you. He's just, and, and just, he was stripped of everything, bankrupted, beaten you name it in every kind of like physical and emotional way everything was taken away from him and he was actually so far ahead of his time and probably one of the best visionary entrepreneurs that we've seen and maybe even leaders in a long time in terms of what he saw and what he did he wasn't actually doing it for the money he was trying to provide free electricity or easy transport for the world where it wasn't the same you know, and maybe cleaner ways of producing electricity. You know, there are all these things. Uh, he did a lot of other things also. But um, yeah. Ezeldin, is um, do you study a lot of entrepreneurs? You mentioned Tesla. Are there, there are any others that really stick out in your mind or anything else you want to say on this topic? Uh, you know, I just watched uh, a movie about, uh, what's the name of the movie? Uh, anyway, uh, probably you know the movie. It's about McDonald's. How McDonald's, uh, the fast food chain, got created and got to be what it is today. Yeah, the Ray Kroc movie. I can't remember the name, but about the McDonald's brothers. Yeah, go on. Yeah, I just watched this recently, and I was like shocked, man. <laughs> I was shocked. Uh, did you watch it? Yes, I've watched it. <laughs> go ahead. And you know, it just. It just uh, it blew my mind that's who control McDonald's today. It's not the people who created McDonald's, you know. And uh, it just uh, I know, man. Like, imagine you create this empire and someone come and take it from you, you know. And <laughs> just like, and uh, this I is, I think, the word uh, yeah. the word we live in. It's it's uh, even if you're doing something great. And even if you're doing a great service, they still want you to uh, make it more uh, money generator and find more ways to cut through and uh, and and, the, and to make uh, the big buck. And it's not just like about making the big buck; it's about creating an empire and creating a whole force of energy that's somehow end up being one of the fun fundamental life uh, uh, fundamental way of the people how they live their life i mean how many people eat it from mcdonald's all over the world they, they can start like a whole country by themselves you know just like a, it's uh and and uh, i know they're like mm-hmm. the trade federation in star wars they like control like <laughs> they have their fingers in everything <laughs> Yeah, man, but at the same time, I was, like, shocked to see how the story went through and how these two brothers who created, uh, they put their soul in into something, uh, but uh, they didn't take care about, uh, about their business 100%, and they let someone in, and this someone in that they let somehow find a way to kind of like become big bigger monster in their own company in their own name <laughs> and just like yeah so this is something uh, i think uh, if anybody didn't watch it i highly recommend it it's first because it's a true story in the same way it's give insights a lot about our our, our word how it work 
Yeah, and I and I like it as well because as an entrepreneur um, and someone that's I sit on like a different side of the entrepreneurship. I know there's a world like entrepreneur money and nice cars and fancy houses, but in the food world, majority of entrepreneurs actually sit in food and restaurants and food businesses and restaurant supplies and you name it, you know, tourism and, and whatever else, hospitality and hotels and the food that goes on there. So there's a lot of entrepreneurs around the world and sauces and barbecue sauce and gosh, I could go on forever and cookies, but it's like the, the majority aren't going to be these companies you want to scale them, but if you do it, you strip them. I, I find a lot of them strip of their culture and their values. And yes, they become money-making machines and that's part of the scaling. But if they don't stick to their core values or they don't stick to the ownership, I think In-N-Out Burger did a pretty good job of sticking to their core values and expanding the entrepreneurs that ran that business. And Sam, yep. who's on there, they've really compounded morals and ethics into net new generations um and it hasn't been exploitive they don't exploit their workforce in this in the same way i would say other fast food chains do and and so that would be an example but my point more being that there's so many of us out there um and we're all going at this that a majority that that are starting to come up or actually make it have such a different mindset and it's interesting that we talked about this because movies and and our awareness of what happened with mcdonald's or or entrepreneurs like we're there's a group of entrepreneurs that are aware of doing business with other entrepreneurs i would say quote unquote i wouldn't call them entrepreneurs that are more exploitative and in it just for the money or the quick fix are not going to build a relationship and those entrepreneurs hopefully will start having less and less business because the entrepreneurs that are doing the right thing that do realize this is a long-term game, particularly in food, that you you know never know if you're going to make it or not, that the majority of the thing in food is building relationships and the reward is the customers and the changing of lives and bringing people together to break bread and actually hopefully save the planet, okay, and regenerate it because that is our job as food entrepreneurs. We have more influence than anyone else. And when it comes to the school systems and all of that that I'm talking about in the United States or in any country who's out there and you haven't gotten to the where the United States is, don't ever give away the food to some outside company for your freaking population. That doesn't make any sense. We eat every day. Nutrition is a part of it. Don't you think those companies that control majority of the food are also lobbying for the food pyramid in the United States and mm-hmm. their supply chain so they can get paid their rebates because they want to get paid all of their money on rebates. And that is where companies and farmers give extra money as commissions to a Sodexo or an Aramark or a Compass to do business with them. Do business with us. We'll give you a flat rate and it'll look and it'll be cheaper on your bid. But behind the scenes, we're going to give you these commissions so you do business with us, right? And so instead yep. of actually choosing the better product or the better food, they're basing everything off of these commissions. So it's no different. Yep. And that's the problem here, guys. And that's the problem with corporations because corporations end up in the government and end up government entities, regardless of how big they are. They become so big and money-driven and profit-driven and 
and whatever else, and, and it's okay in some instances, but a majority of them don't actually stick to the quote-unquote values or plans or, or companies they're even donating to. Like it's just there's not entrepreneurs in there doing the right thing and providing positive solutions because they have a board of directors who cares about money. Everyone cares about money. Therefore, the problem is we're only going to mine money and we're not going to save the planet. We're not going to help the animals. And here's my favorite one of all. This is my favorite one, and I will 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 nail this in, is we go around talking about plant-based protein and saving all the animals. But if you look at human history, when we stop eating an animal, they go extinct. Because why? We have no purpose for them. Are you going to have pet chickens? Are you going to pet cows? <laughs> I'm just saying, guys. Like The reason that those are there is because they were the easiestly domesticated. For example, bison go head on into a storm. They go into a storm. They know their best chances to go through it, not run from it and have it catch up to you. Okay, so we chose cows because they were easily domesticated. They were easily, they just listened to us more. Go figure that one out as humans. And we'll just go the easy path, not the more healthy nutrition path. But it's, it's that's what I'm talking about. So in plant-based protein, it's great that we're trying to save all the animals, but who's going to take care of them and raise them and make sure they don't get extinct if we don't eat them anymore? Because we've evolved them into something that they're only good for fucking food. We, yeah, they already modified them, changed their, uh, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, uh, there's a special chicken breed uh, uh, for McDonald's, you know, where it's more of a white meat than the dark meat, and uh, it's like an alien chicken. <laughs> no, actually, we talk, I talked about this the other day. Their breasts are so big that if the chicken gets sick in any kind of way, the balance is that enough off where they literally fall over. Because they built the breasts on these chickens so big and they have no dark meat, which is the legs. Like there's no dark meat there, so there's no strength to hold up the chicken. Um, but you're right. We've bred animals specifically for purpose. Yeah, you know, uh, since I cook uh, vegetarian uh, food in my company, uh, I minimize on eating meat, but I still eat meat. But I decided my company is vegetarian company. I always, uh, you know, find myself in a conversation about meat and veganism and such. And uh, I don't know how to sometimes like approach the subject. Uh, like for example, you know. Uh, uh, you have a country that most of its army is vegan, where it is like Israel over here. They consider to be the most army who are vegans. First of all, like how you can compare army to vegan. First of all, this is fucking mind blowing. So stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like, the same time, like, like there's no genetics in the individuals about how they react to vegan food. But OK. Yeah, I love this. Go on. And uh, but at the same time, you have one of these uh, army that's are killing kids, killing old people, not just like uh, any human being. Like uh, one of the most uh, army that's when you come to the ground and see what happened, it's like disgusting. Like how can they talk about vegan? And you know, actually, this is turning vegan and turning this ethics into a commercial way. For example, uh, quinoa. 
quinoa something I got to experience way long time ago before even quinoa was existed in the country over here because my friends uh, they are half Peruvian and their mother she would cook quinoa as some of her food that she grew up eating you know and she used to get it from Peru and such so I remember eating quinoa way long time before it exists and the other day we are talking we were, I was like having dinner with them and uh, uh Someone was mentioning that the quinoa right now, people in Peru cannot afford it. They cannot afford to buy something grown in their hometown just because there is high demand on quinoa and such. And the almond, for example, same thing. Um, we are pushing the bees into a huge battle just because we want everything element. And what I'm trying to say over here, I don't think our problem is extreme. We cannot do one thing extreme. It is about balance. It is We have to figure out a way to balance things. If people want to eat meat, let them eat meat. It's Of course, there will still be people who are going to eat meat. If you don't want to eat meat, Eat whatever you want, but just be aware of like how you do it, how much you do it. And uh, this this way uh, of thinking, I believe, you know, to walk the mid bath, not to be attached so much and not to be angry if someone does not agree with you so much. And uh, it is it is all our word. It is built on balance. You know, if uh, if the universe was created in a way that uh, uh, we don't eat meat, maybe we won't have meat at all. There is like a wisdom in the universe how it's created. You know, and there is some study they show that we were not even eaten meat before or whatever. But what I'm what I'm realizing in this word lately, the last hundred years, people couldn't afford to eat as they do before. So 100 years before, to eat meat is, was like, oh, that is like a luxury thing. So when people had the opportunity to provide better for their family, they felt they are doing better job as a parents, you know? So it's came from a good intention that we want to feed our family with the best and such. But we really have to pay attention on even like the almond uh, or any type of milk, alternative milk uh, we are buying. What really go in these ingredients? What do we have? Uh, because the battle, it is way much more than you choosing to eat something or not. The battle, it's like, first of all, we are a human designed to consume the best of what's in our area. So importing and having things from other places it is not something good for our body in general, you know, and that's why we really have to be more aware and be connected more to our roots, be connected to our local uh, ancestor wisdom and uh, what the land has to offer us because that's the best way to kind of balance things out, in my opinion, you know. I don't think any way of diet will save the universe. Uh, I mean, we're talking about vegan food uh, and such, and we're talking about rights for people. In the same time, we know that there is so many places people don't have a right to live, you know. Uh, people ha are still facing 
a certain uh, a way because of their color, because who they are, because of their religion. And we really, really, we want to talk about like these things as we are civilization that's figure out all of these things. And right now we reach this level. What I what I think that we are way far in conversation that we have to start with the human right and accept each other first before we talk about which these things I feel advanced. I'm not saying they're not necessary. They are not important. We have to think about them even today and such. But like, uh, don't don't tell me the word of, as we have way much less a problem than what what it is we have fundamental problem that's the start of people don't accept each other from religion color uh or where you're from you know and uh and i feel this is this is all contributing to uh to all of uh the politics that we we have today for all this hate that's brewing because people are growing up to learn to hate someone else and then they find a way how they can transfer this hate uh through a way that they can treat them even if it is through their job or just give them a ticket or make them wait longer or tell them we they don't have this thing while they have it i'm just saying like uh uh we are supposed to be very advanced and we're supposed to reach the moon but man we didn't reach each other hearts yet and i agree with you and one of the things that i truly um believe in and one of the reasons i do this podcast and why i'm pushing so hard on an international level um as we get further into the episodes is i agree with the mindset thing and i think that on an international level, anyone who's listening in, the part about food, it's more important than we could ever understand. And one of the things I agree with you is we use this term vegan, like I'm a vegan. Well, and then we're assuming that the person's a nice, caring, loving human. Well, do they have a dog? Are they taking care of animals? Like I just, it's one thing to say I'm a vegan and, and I'm making a choice and that's my stance. But am I, am I, are my actions actually caring about the animals if that's what I stand behind? Or do I actually care not about killing animals, humans included, because we're included in the animal kingdom. And the other part about it is the responsibility we have as humans to each other and to the animal kingdom and taking care of them. And these are some of the things I'm talking about. Like we, and to Izeldin's point, is we are having conversations where we don't realize the impact. If we all go vegan suddenly, what happens to the animal kingdom? Because whether or not we're exploiting it or not, we're weirdly taking care of it by making it our food. Okay, what happens when it's no longer our food? Okay, and they're not our pets. Okay, they're not a dog. We're not going to have a horse living in here. We all know that. Look how many horses there are left. They're not food, and their recreation and their population constantly depletes. Mm-hmm. So, donkeys, even more so. Okay, so these are the things that I'm talking about. Like, eventually, if they don't serve a purpose uh, or we exploit them and they don't serve a purpose, they go extinct. So we just have to be aware, and while there's a million chickens in the world, if we suddenly make vast changes, it has impact. Not to mention how many families and farmers and poor communities rely on chickens as a way of wealth or quote unquote, not wealth, I would say uh, income, sorry, a way of whatever wealth they have would be a better term to look at it. 
okay? Um, how many cow farmers were there or milk farmers were there in the world when all of a sudden the United States just said, oh, we're closing half the milk farms? You know, it impacted tens of thousands of people who then just got in the beef industry. And that goes back to the governments, guys. One of the things is diversity in food helps break down these boundaries. Diversity in our animal proteins. If we want to talk about vegan, like diversity in your plants. Not only eating plant-based proteins that are soy-based, wheat-based, and whatever else based. You know, uh, corn-based. You know, diversifying what we pull out of the ground, diversifying the minerals and nutrition. We talked about the other mallow plants, you know, for your stomach and the other one that has iron. So I think that, like, really, we're all humans. Like, and the thing, like, that we need to realize is, yes, we're all different, but we're all the same. We all need food. We all need water. We all need a place to grow. And we all believe in raising families for a future, at least a majority of us. And like we, we somehow get so caught up in our differences and this hate because that's what f- makes us feel a part of a group or we belong or whatever delusion that's going on during this point. It's not true. Like we all eat the same food. We can go around the world and we can feel at home and break bread with any culture. Go do it. And we're not at war. I'm not, I have never been anywhere where I've had to like, fight someone and pull out a gun at a table because we different we were we disagreed over something that it became so bad that we need to fight each <laughs> other right even though there were places where we're politically so different but we were breaking bread and we were understanding each other it doesn't mean that i would necessarily do business in some of those countries but i respect them in the way they do business Okay, and I respect them as humans that they can survive. And I also respect a lot of the humans in the world, regardless of the politics, that they're all out there to do the right thing, which is usually to try to give their kids a better world than they came up in. Mm -hmm. So politics are to disrupt that. Like you guys just part of politics and getting elected is try to make yourself outstandingly different than someone else and make like and and get people to focus on the things that aren't necessarily important they're just triggers okay so psychologically triggers like does the majority of the world really like we like women's rights and abortion i get it it's politics the woman should have the choice or whatever who however we feel about it but we spend too much time on it like there's way bigger issues going on here than just that like we're taking things and giving the government power to make choices that they should never be making. And mm. and we're giving, you know, the ability to decide how we do business with one another and how we have the choices as entrepreneurs to raise our families. And I say this all the time, it's interesting to me because on a political scale, entrepreneurs we share so many similarities regardless of politics that we could actually form a world party and make real influence if we were positive entrepreneurs in that regard i don't know how it would happen but there is that influence and we all do generally grow people we believe in investing in the next generation and legacy the 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 good entrepreneurs and and so i think there's a lot of us out there i think there's more and more coming out every day But we also have to be aware that if I'm creating a solution somewhere in the world, what is the problem I'm creating with my solution? And am I going to cause more harm with my solution? Because Mm -hmm. like 
taking electricity away from the world for profit and money isn't a real solution for the world, okay? And if the power companies really cared about it, like, and the people wanted to care about it, it would have been to figure out how to do something different or use the new technology to advance the world or whatever, but instead fear of missing out took over and there's no creativity in the electricity business in forever. You know, maybe there's an advancement here on a power line or, or whatever here and there, but not really. Like the wireless electricity, like that's how it travels in the first place. So, oh. you know, like it's like that's how lightning goes. You know, it's not exactly contained anywhere and we can pick it out of the universe. So I think it's really cool. And um, I think there's just so many things that we don't even understand as humans merely because the governments have gotten involved for thousands of years and just hush things. You know, we talk about the world being flat or things like that. Like that still really goes on on a very real scale. So, mm-hmm. um, Ezel Dean, I know we got way into the weeds there, um, but I really enjoyed this conversation. I don't know what kind of time you have, Same but here, man. Um, what I mean, what else do you want? Is there anything you want to leave our guests with? Is there anything you want to talk more about your business, about being a vegan? I do also find it interesting that vegans then turn around and kill humans. So there's that's just a contradiction of a lifestyle. It's like, why do we not look at what the person does? Why do we only look at their words and trust their words? Why do we not look at their character? And when you plank it and use it as marketing and advertising, I agree with you. It's like, Oh, it's okay that we murder people. We're vegan. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. No, that's probably not good, you know? Or it's like, it's okay that I'm really mean to other humans. I'm a vegan. You know, it's like, you know, and so I'm not saying that vegan isn't good. I'm just saying it can Absolutely. be used negative, negatively. And I think there's good vegan and there there's people that do it the right way and they understand how to diversify their diets and and all that so i'm not alienating but i also think meat eaters are the same way they're like oh veganism is bad well it's just because you don't have an understanding of it and so it's the same thing like we just get stuck in our mindset have you ever tried a vegan diet like i recommend anyone to at least try it before they go judging it like if you don't like it or it doesn't work for you sure but at least try it like that's the thing if you're not going to try it then i'm not going to take your word for it so um yeah, man. Uh, uh, I think, yeah, just to add on this, the vegan concept, it just started from something very beautiful, uh, I got to say, and I have a lot of respect for uh, a lot of the vegan people, the approach uh, and such. I just don't respect the commercial part when it tap into something like this, which is supposed to be more of ethics. It's like, the, it's like with yoga, man. You know, it's like yoga and uh, meditation and such when you have the commercialism stuck in it. Now you have yoga with guns. You have yoga with uh, drinking and just like, what? But, uh, but yeah, anyway, man, um, it's, uh, it's, it was lovely to, to talk to you, man, and uh, to share what I have with your audience and what I would like to tell them uh, I really advise you to come uh, to this country over here, to come to visit uh, Jerusalem uh, and uh, to experience uh, around its very dynamic country. It is so much misrepresented. Uh, there is so much of a beauty in it uh, between food, culture and religion and whatever is your religion, you know. 
uh, well, we have here mainly three religions that's coming from, so it's like, uh, uh, I know not uh, people are less religious than before, but like, you know, the history of it, uh, there's a lot of beauty, and I really uh, advise people to take the time uh, and to come here, because what you can see and what can you experience, it will pour a lot in different area in your life. Uh, and... Uh, and yeah, don't be intimidated by uh, uh, what you hear. And uh, uh, it's uh, still a place that we have many tourists all the time. And you should come and visit if you have the opportunity or the money. Uh, and yeah, you too, Justin, man. We look forward to have you on a food tour here. Yeah, I definitely want to try to get there because it's always a place that I want to go. And I'm really, we've talked about this the last episode. And I'm like really like trying to figure this out because I want to go to like a lot of the places that I'm doing the podcast in. But I'd like to get there and actually record in, in Jerusalem. That would be really cool. And the other thing is, is I want to experience the food and the culture. And I want to see what it's like for the entrepreneurs because I'm totally under the belief that the spread of freedom, the spread of equality and human rights is going to start with us as entrepreneurs. We we turn all of this power over to our military, but they're just really government puppets at this point. Like we, they do would say, go vegan, like everyone goes vegan or whatever. I think the United States military is like doing this as well. And uh, I'm just like, what are we going to do when we can't fight? anymore? because we've like, we're just like, we're not going to do anything. We're going to be complete pacifists. And uh, and we're not going to carry guns, okay? Because I'm just like, we got to be careful about when we market our military and things we're marketing in the contradictions. I'm just, it's too much, and I agree with you. Um, it's too much when it becomes marketing. It's a choice of a lifestyle, and it's a human choice. And I myself have found this as well is with the rising prices of proteins, with what's going on in the world, with needing animals to sort of population i mean pork in the united states is down chickens down avian flu so i mean there's less and less animals as the population is growing also but the important part is is that we look at being vegan as not plant-based protein only because it's not changing out things for our meats it's actually using vegetables and the and spices and the things that the world gives us and grows outside of animals to get this through nutrition, but it requires a diversity and it requires that we look at food from around the world and spices from around the world and fruits and vegetables from around the world and plants that have the properties because it, it is out there. I agree with you and we are a circumstance of where we live and we can live within our environments and find enough food to live locally if we truly build our environments that way, but we just don't. And so that being said, I, I think that from this standpoint, um, I will say that I have learned recently as Justin Bizarro that diversity in my proteins, which I've done some, I've, I've been, I've got, I, every once in a while I eat goat. I try to do lamb, which is not as popular here in the United States anymore for some reason, either as goat. Um, I tried to do some bison here and there and elk because I want to diversify my diet. But one of the things that I really have to focus on now in the United States is we have less and less access to diverse uh, vegetables and plants and fruits. It's really yeah. weird. If you go into our grocery stores, our diversity is probably about half of what we used to have uh, compared to three years ago. 
And that's scary to me because we're not getting the diversity of nutrition and vitamins and nutrients that we need that we get from a diversity of food that passes through our body and every human's different and we collect that vitamin and nutrition sometimes differently and from different foods. So it's important we have exposure to diversity because we don't know what always is going to stick, for lack of a better term. So that being said, I believe in the push of veganism as well because when it's attached to the diversity of the food and the plants and the diversity of the human because like you said there is a great spirituality to it and pureness to it i agree 100 percent um i also think that we just need to realize that veganism isn't isn't going to be death free okay like i just like i agree (laughs) it's, it's good for the world but there's worms and bugs and everything else that goes down in the wasteland like it's just not a clean as we think it is it's cleaner because we're not killing mammals that look like us or animals that look like us but it's there is still death and um i don't know why that is i don't know why god made it this way but it's just the way that it is um you know or or however the planet was created or whatever your belief system is it's just a lion needs to eat meat it's it can't eat vegetables and so these are things that I don't understand and maybe eventually uh, we as humans can figure out a better way to balance all this so we don't have to eat each other or kill worms and bugs and grow indoors and all of that, I hope. But event- <laughs> right now we still do have a lot of death in it that we need to figure out and we also need to figure out is once we do away with the death and we're not relying on them or we're, those animals or bugs or worms aren't a part of our life anymore, how do we make sure they go on existing? You know, that's my thing. It's like if we're going to take the responsibility to save them, then it's more than just to stop eating them. It's actually to take care of them. If, you know, and religiously, you know, any person that's read Noah's Ark, I mean, it kind of all falls back to that, which is weird. We emphasize so much about human relationships, but we don't talk about our animal kingdom relationships enough across the world. Um, and so. Uh, that's what I'm going to leave it with. Did you have anything else, Ezeldine, before we go? Uh, well, no, man. I, you know, I can talk till tomorrow, <laughs> but uh, I think we covered uh, many of the things. And uh, uh, the only thing I would say, uh, I believe entrepreneur uh, definition and what does it mean before it was more focused on making money and don't care how, just make the money. But today uh, there is a beauty of uh, entrepreneur, uh, as you what you were talking about earlier, is like people who find a solution presenting something unique and this is the era i feel this is the era where entrepreneur and good ethics is lining up and i believe there is a lot of beauty will come more of this when uh, the entrepreneur spirit and the drive and such and the good-hearted ethics is still take a place a lot of beautiful things will bloom and uh, we are in the beginning of the journey and i agree so much i just think that like uh, us as entrepreneurs, like we just see the world so differently and we see a growth and opportunity, you know, the ones that act positively and want to be a force of good in the world. 
And I think that there's a lot of us out there and we're all over the world and we are the modern day soldiers and we don't need to go to war or fight battles or have blood spilled or be racist or hate towards each other or try to extinguish other people that we don't understand. Like we're all in this because like even in food, I have to embrace everyone because I have no employees in food right now in the United States. Anyone recognizes anyone who wants to come in and work in the food business, we're open arms. And that's always the way it's been for for every immigrant group that's coming in the United States, including Italians like myself. We came through those businesses. I rose up to be who I am as an entrepreneur because um, of the American dream and pursuing that. But we say the American dream, but it's really the entrepreneurial dream and it exists on a world level. Not not to come to America, but to be entrepreneurs respectively in in their countries or in the countries we inhabit. Because why? Because we know that it gives us freedom. We know that it gives us joy and we're in control of our own destiny. But we have to realize as entrepreneurs that if we do believe in positivity and we do believe in the next generation being better than us and, and giving them those skills and always being a force of positivity that, that plants, you know, fruit and flowers for for many 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 generations after us we have to realize that if we come together on a world level and we talk on a world level and we network on a world level the ones of us that are the elite that think this way i'm not talking about elite in terms of what our bank accounts look like i'm talking about elite in terms of our understanding of why we were put here and our purpose as entrepreneurs which is way beyond what we understand and the entrepreneur skill is a superpower that should be turned up for the greater good. Okay. And I'm not saying waste the money in your business or donate it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying use the same time that you're running your business to actually influence the people around you and impact the people around you and do the right thing and buy from the right people, buy from the right farms, buy from the right people diversify who you buy from diversify the offerings in your restaurants look at whole animal utilization don't waste part of the animal i love steakhouses to death but they're like the best thing for like killing off half a cow and guess what the whole cow still dies but we still waste half of it especially in the united states mm-hmm. where you have abundance you know at everywhere else they're much better at utilizing the animal especially they're starving and so it's just things we don't think about. We waste things. You want to, you know, not have so much death. Well, let's utilize the whole animal. You know, let's use more of the meat instead of wasting it, waiting for the next porterhouse steak. Like, let's actually use the other parts of the animal. And so that's just sort mm-hmm. of like the thing. Let's use more of the plant. Let's not waste half the plant. Let's actually eat the broccoli stalk. Okay, you can eat the broccoli stalk. We don't just need to eat the florets here in the United States and waste the rest of it or send it off to, to pet food. Okay, like we need to figure that stuff out. And, um, but we make the choices as entrepreneurs and we set the stage. And it's not a place to spread hate or to spread difference. It's actually our food businesses or where we all come together, where we all break bread, where we put dreams in other people's lives, where we provide memories. And so, with that, we need to take it and do it responsibly and we need to do it positively and we need to understand that it that's for all humans and all animals and all plants and the whole planet and hopefully whatever other planet we eventually inhabit 
because we're going to have to get off this one. Eventually, we're going to outgrow it. <laughs> and like I said on the previous podcast, the easiest way to do that is to take plant seeds. So we're going to have to get used to plants. Like you, by the time we take, if we even Noah's Arced it and we took two animals on a on a plane or we could genetically grow them, you still have to genetically grow a shit ton of animals in order for us to eat them in a new civilization. So you would have to wait maybe even a hundred years to really have a good stock of of animals to eat and in that time you'd have to be growing vegetables on and growing them maybe indoors and with environments and stuff you knew why you were getting used to maybe animals on that planet or fruits and vegetables on that planet or lack thereof i don't know but it's not hard (laughs) to conceive that that's not possible anymore like we're traveling to space more and more tesla's um or spacex is sending up how many things every day so I just think that food is part of that solution. And when Ezeldine talks about we're way too far ahead in the conversation and we're complicating it, I agree. We're trying to solve problems that actually with like these complex ideas that are probably actually solved through food and food trade and actually looking at food as the beginning point to do anything. Okay, we want to explore the stars. Okay, yeah, we can get places, but what if we built it that we need enough food to live to get to the place that we're going? I don't know. We would probably design our ships a little bit differently, <laughs> you know, and we'd probably design things a little bit differently. Yeah. Well, man, it was lovely to talk with you Me and too. lovely to share what I have with your audience and uh, all the best, man, with your journey yeah. and continue spreading uh, that good uh, seeds uh, of entrepreneur. And hopefully we meet. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for your time and being so vulnerable and authentic, Izaldine. I really appreciate it. And uh, anyone who's out there, thank you Quite for good. listening in. Uh, you can reach us on uh, Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs, uh, Spotify, or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. And if you like what we're saying and you like Ezeldine's story, please share it. Please write a positive comment. Please give it a five stars. And we're out. <laughs>